Okay, let's try this again. Uh, today's scripture is from 14th chapter of Luke, verses 7 to 24. Then he asked them, if one of you, oh, excuse me, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the guest who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will, you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Excuse me. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered a servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, when you ordered, when what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Is this on? Because it's showing red. It usually shows green. Good morning. How's everybody today? Guess what I don't have in my box today? It's okay. He can come up. Oh, there is something in here. Actually, there's a lot of stuff in here, but only one thing for today. It's not a book. Usually I have a book. I brought my puppy today. You make a good, quiet puppy, right? A puppy, yeah. Yeah, puppies are fun, aren't they? How many of you have puppies or dogs? A lot of you. Have you ever watched your dog chase its tail? No? It's really funny, isn't it, to watch a dog chase, chase its tail? No. No, it's not? I don't think you've ever seen it happen. Well, I think it's kind of funny when a dog chases its tail. Can you sit? There. All right. You can hold the dog. All right. 
So the dog chases his tail, goes round and round in circles, and it's kind of silly, right? But why does it do that? I don't know either. It's kind of a silly thing to chase something that it already has. Right? The tail's already part of it, so it doesn't have to chase it. It's not like chasing a squirrel or something that it doesn't have. Yeah, it chases kitty cats too, doesn't it? No, no. No, dogs don't chase cats? No, Sometimes they do. Yes, they do. We don't have a dog, so we don't know. But I was thinking about dogs chasing their tails. Actually, the, the GIF came up on my Facebook thing about the dog chasing its tail, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's so appropriate for today. <sighs> Sometimes I feel like I'm chasing my tail. Um, but in the scripture today, I thought it related really well to the, the first part of the scripture anyway. Jesus was saying to these Pharisees, you know, why are you so worried about sitting at the, the best seat? Why is that so important to you? You already have everything you need. You have respect. You have love. You have honor. You have importance. Why do you need to sit in the best seat to show it off? And that made me think about those dogs chasing their tails. Please sit still. Please sit still. Yes. Yes, you're going to sit still, right? All right, I'm going to have to put you down then. That was my foot. Here, you can have the puppy, okay? Um, so, the people were watching Jesus to see what he thought of himself, if he would take the high position of honor, and he doesn't need that because he's already got the love and the respect and the honor that he has just because he is Jesus. But the Pharisees all have that too. And so do we. Yes, yes we have God's honor and love and respect. And so, we don't need to be like dogs chasing our tails because we already have all that stuff. We don't need to win the race. We don't need to sit in the highest position. Can you stop, please? You know what? You need to stop. No. Uh, only I get to talk in this. No. Ben. Sorry. My lovely assistant is uh, trying to usurp my position here. Someday, maybe, but not today. Um, anyway, when we try to put ourselves first, we're not putting Jesus first. And we don't need to be first because we're already first in his book. If we're what? following him and trusting him and no, believing what he has to say and leading us and following, we don't need to chase our tails. So... When we see the dogs chasing their tails, it would be really sad if that's all they ever did. Yes. It's really sad that the Pharisees were doing that all the time. So let's not be like that. Let's not chase our tails. Let's just know that we are loved, and we are respected, and we are honored, and we are important to God. Yes, Yes, that's true. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have already given us places of importance in your kingdom. We don't have to strive to be the best or the first or have the most important place because you have already prepared that important place for us.
us, to help us not to chase our tails in vain glory, chase our tails trying to be better than we can be or should be or need to be because we already are the best. You've made us that way. So we give you honor and glory and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here. Amen to that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day that you have made. We want to rejoice and be glad in it and in you. Today is Pentecost when we celebrate the coming of your Holy Spirit among your people. Lord, please refresh the Spirit in our lives. Help us to cooperate with you more and more, including in my speaking and our listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I am anticipating that there might be different answers to this, this question. Who here likes parties? You can define party however you like. Okay, <laughs> some of us really like to be around other people, and some of us don't necessarily like that so much. Um, if you like parties, which do you prefer? Do you ra would you rather throw the party yourself, or would you rather be invited? Both? Throw it? Okay. So when I lived in London, um, I worked with refugees and other people from other countries, and obviously in London, I was a person from another country, too, and um, I had roommates, and, and my roommates and I would we volunteered at some English as a second language classes, which was how we got to know some of these people from other countries. And we really loved inviting people over to our house for a potluck. People from the classes and people that we knew from the churches we were working for and people that we knew from wherever else we just kind of picked them up. And, uh, and so we would have these groups of people from Pakistan and Guinea-Bissau and Turkey and Iran and um, the United States and the UK and Kenya and all these different places and everybody would bring something from there to eat from their country and so there were there was nothing boring about these potlucks and the house would be really full and sometimes some of the people would know each other maybe from the English classes and sometimes they wouldn't have met before, and so we just loved bringing people from all over the place, all different kinds of life experience, all different ages, um, to our house to share food together and get to know each other, and it was really fun. And even though not everybody that came to these parties was a Christian, my roommate and I were, and we were kind of doing this in the name of Jesus. And, pe and people knew we were Christians, and sometimes we would talk about that and this was one of my favorite things to do in London and this theme kind of carried me through my time in London um, we we read for the responsive reading part of Isaiah 55 which was a passage that um, kind of stood out to me as I was preparing to go to London um, this idea of God spreading this table and people coming from all the nations, people we didn't know before, coming from the nations and being filled up and having enough to drink. And 
Um, when I first moved to London, there was a park around the corner from me called Central Park. There was nothing central about it. It was nothing like the park in New York. But um, they had this sort of um, amphitheater that I don't think anybody ever used as an amphitheater. But the first time I went there, I walked there, I thought, it would be so cool if we could have some kind of party here for all these people from all these different countries to come and, and just like have this party in this park. And everybody who's not at the party could come and see us and join us. And, and it would be great. And so when I left London, which was May of 2002, so I guess I passed an anniversary at some point. Um, yeah, like 20, good grief. <laughs> I left London 20 years ago. Man, I'm old. Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> I decided, you know what, I want to have a farewell party, not really for me, but just I just want to do this idea that I had when I first moved there. So I invited all my friends, and everybody brought stuff, and, we, and I talked to some of the town authorities and got permission to use this section of the park, and we, everybody showed up that I knew at the time, and we all um, got to celebrate together and celebrate our friendship um, and say goodbye. So this is kind of something that I get, as you can tell, really excited about. Even though I'm an introvert, I really like these kinds of gatherings. So I think that God likes these kind of parties too. However, I also decided this week that maybe Jesus was a little socially awkward at parties. Except for that one time <laughs> when he made water into wine for everybody. That was probably a win. But um, we already pointed out that he's not a good salesman. Ron has mentioned that uh, some of the things that Jesus says don't actually make you necessarily want to do what he's doing or join his movement or whatever. Um, in today's story, it starts out where he's, he's at the Pharisee's house. And the frame story for this, which we didn't read the very first part of this, but Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house on the Sabbath and heals a man who comes in there who's got some kind of illness or disability. Uh, older translations say dropsy. Um, I think our translation said something about a tumor or something like that. Anyway, uh, what's that? Yeah, it's, it's swelling. So, so Jesus heals this guy. Um, and catches some flack from his host and the other guests for healing somebody on the Sabbath. Here's something that I thought of. I don't need an answer to this question, but don't, doesn't it seem a little weird to you that the Pharisees are having a party on the Sabbath, and so clearly somebody's working to provide all this food, but it's not okay for Jesus to heal somebody. I don't know. I never noticed that before, but it seems a little weird. Maybe. Um, anyway, so Jesus says, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So then after Jesus like heals somebody on the Sabbath at the Pharisee's house, probably someone who wasn't invited, um, then he starts like critiquing the guest and the host. He says, he, first he calls out the guests. You guys are all trying to pick the best seats in the house. That's, 
that's kind of tacky, you guys, because, and then what's going to happen is you have to be demoted in your seat choice by your host. That's going to be embarrassing for you. And then he calls out his host, hey, stop inviting all your family and rich friends and the people that can pay you back. Invite some other people that can't repay you. That seems awkward, I think. That would be weird at a party. And so then there's this guest who it's like he's, he's not trying to change the subject, but he's trying to redirect Jesus a little bit. So he throws in this, he spiritualizes this thing. We're at this party, and he says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Stop critiquing this party, Jesus. Let's talk about the feast in the kingdom of God. Okay, what is that? <laughs> what is that? Well, the guest is acknowledging this Hebrew tradition that comes from the Old Testament, that comes from the Hebrew Bible, um, this idea that at the end of the age, God is going to rule and there's going to be this huge feast for all of God's people. And it comes from passages like Isaiah 55 and also Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. It says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from the earth. I don't know how you feel about that passage. I love that passage. I just think it's so, it's such a great hope. And I also like it because it confirms this idea that I've had since my 20s, that God really likes parties. God is a party God. If you go into the super, we all think these are boring, the, book of, the books of the law, Leviticus, you know, the, we think these are boring, but the amount of times God says, have a party for this, have a party for this, have a party for this, these are the laws. Have some parties, guys. Celebrate. Because we're the people of God. So this is built into the DNA of the Hebrew people, but also it, we being grafted in as Christians, we benefit from this. You could actually say that God invented parties. I mean, people have been par having parties since the beginning of time, most likely. But um, these are God's idea. Although, even God's parties in the Hebrew scriptures are a little socially awkward. Imagine a barbecue where the killing happens on site. sort of awkward. Um, sometimes at the barbecue, the sacrifices get burnt all the way up. You don't actually get to eat them. Sometimes, instead of rejoicing and feasting, you're lamenting and fasting and repenting. But there's still always this thread of joy. There's this thread of rejoicing in all of the laws. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, not drudgery. 
And after all of these different types of parties, the sacrifices and the um, different Passover and Sukkot and um, Yom Kippur and all of these different events in the Hebrew calendar and the Jewish calendar, God promises there's going to be a party to end all parties, the fulfillment of all the parties. Death is done at this party. And we're filled up with everything that we need. So this idea is what this guest is referring to here. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus, continuing to be awkward, says, yeah, about that. <laughs> it doesn't really seem like any of you want to come. So we're going to invite people like that guy with the abnormal swelling that I just healed, okay? <laughs> that's kind of that's how this conversation goes except he, of course, tells a parable. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. This is a certain man. This isn't just any man like the guy in the Good Samaritan parable who got beat up. We don't know anything about that man, but we know this is a certain man, and he is preparing a great feast, and the person Jesus is talking to has just referenced the great feast in the kingdom of God, and so we know that this certain man is really God. And it is a great banquet, and there are many guests. There's already many guests invited. This party is really not that exclusive to begin with. This idea is that the whole nation of Israel is invited. All of the people of God that God has chosen, they're all invited to this party. There is, to start out, at least as far as the invitees know, an actual guest list. But then Jesus goes on. At the time of the banquet, this certain man sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Okay, so this party has been in the works for a long time. The people already knew about it. Their place in the guest list was reserved a long time ago. So everybody goes, right? Nope. Here's the hitch. It's such a big event to prepare, there was no set time or date. None of the invitees got the, the when, the what time on their invite. So they've all gotten busy doing other stuff, living their own lives. When the news comes that it's finally ready, everybody has something else to do. Everybody. I heard this story as a kid. And I distinctly remember listening to these excuses and having these responses. So first guy says, I have new real estate. I got to go look at it. And I was like, why don't you just look at it later? You already bought it. Just go to the party then. OK. And then somebody else is like, I got to test drive my new lawn equipment. <laughs> Oxen. <laughs> really right now, though? Like, if it's a party, what? Yard work, party. I mean, maybe Paul would prefer yard work to a party. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and then the third person says, I just got married. 
And that one always seemed to me like the best of the three excuses, except why don't you just bring your new spouse? Why do you have to leave them at home? I don't know. These are pathetic excuses. They're pathetic. You're invited by this great certain man who's throwing this giant party that you knew about a long time ago, and you're going to go look at your new real estate. But these pathetic excuses are totally relatable. Right? Excuses are always pathetic. This is what I've decided. They're always pathetic, but they're also always relatable. However, these are high stakes here. This is the feast at the end of time and the beginning of eternity. So what does the host do? Invites other people. First, what does he do, though? They need a cell phone, yeah. He gets hungry. That's so disturbing. <laughs> Why does he get angry? What's that? Because nobody wanted to come. Yeah, there's nobody there to eat it. And he's doing this because he loves these people. He wants these people to be with him. He wants to spend time with them. And they all have, apparently, more important things to do. And he's hurt, so he gets mad. I think that's kind of relatable, too. But he doesn't let his anger just, he, you know, he doesn't turn in a huff and say, fine, forget it, we're not having this party. Everybody, all you musicians and caterers and everybody go home. No. He just says, okay, servants, because he has servants, go into all the streets and, and go find people. Just any random people, actually not the random people, go find the most unlikely people to invite. He's focusing on people with disabilities. And I was looking at this list, and I decided that it seems like you can take all of these things at face value, but they also um, demonstrate specific types of disability. So there's financial disability. He says, invite the poor people. None of these people, like Jesus says to the Pharisees earlier, none of these people can pay the host back. No chance, no way, no how. Invite the poor people. Invite the people with physical disabilities, the crippled. And then I think, because crippled and lame are kind of the same thing, I think he's also talking about spiritual disabilities, the blind and the lame. If you're spiritually blind, you can't see properly. You can't see what's true. You can't, and if you're spiritually lame, you cannot get there on your own. N there is nothing among any of these people that the great man's servants are inviting that makes them worthy of this party. And there's also nothing about them that enables them to get into the party themselves. They can't do it. So the servants invite all those people, and then they go, come back to the master, and they say, there's still room, though. Can you imagine that? If all of the poor and all of the crippled and all of the spiritually blind and lame people show up at this party, and there's still room, how much room is there at this party? So 
He says, go into the, the streets, the outskirts of the town, go into the countryside and the country roads and get those people. And those people, I think, just based on the lists that God um, uses in passages like the Isaiah passage, these are the types of people that God wants to bring in through his people. I think these are foreigners. These are people who are not Jewish. Go get those people too. Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I don't want any space here, standing room only. Everybody needs to be here. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That last sentence is really disturbing. I am not ready. I don't know how to talk about that sentence yet. <laughs> um, I don't know what it means for Jewish people who haven't received Jesus as their Messiah. I don't know what it means for other religious people, including Christians, who have keep on making excuses not to be changed by the Holy Spirit. But it is clear that, according to Jesus, there are going to be people who will not get a taste of his banquet. However, it's also clear that is really not his preference. He would not send people all over the place to bring other people in and fill up his house. He wants everybody to be there. So today, as I said, is Pentecost. Um, the liturgical color of Pentecost is red, which is why you can issues today. <laughs> um, Pentecost is the day that we celebrate the birthday of the church. It's the day we celebrate um, the Holy Spirit coming and living in us and not just kind of influencing our externals. Um, after Jesus went back to the Father, the, the Holy Spirit was sent. We know the story. It's in Acts 2. Um, the disciples were meeting and and they started, and flames of fire fell on their heads, and they started speaking in languages they didn't know. And there was a prophecy about that in the book of Joel, in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That section of Joel 2 comes right after this big, long section in the book of Joel. There's a plague of locusts that annihilates the agriculture of the Hebrew people for a while. Um, and it's a, in, it's a judgment from God on the people. And so in the first part of Joel 2 is this big like explanation about the locusts and, their, and its judgment, and then the tone shifts a little bit and God starts talking about how you, you need to repent. And if you repent, this healing will come. And then, and then he says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I think that this is what revival looks like. We, we talk about, we pray about revival a lot. There are churches in this area that are praying actively for revival and we have this idea, because we know revivals have happened historically, after the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, there have been other times where the Holy Spirit has done really uh, remarkable, supernatural things among groups of people. 
I really think that when we pray for revival, we need to keep the story of Pentecost in our minds, and we also need to keep the great banquet where everybody is invited in our mind. Because at least two of the significant revivals in this country that I'm aware of, and I believe there are more in other countries, um, when revival happens, what happens is not only a change in people's hearts, but also people from other countries and other ethnic and racial groups come together and men and women become on equal playing field. And I think this is really important to God and I think this is something the Holy Spirit does. This is part of the Holy Spirit's work. And what is happening in this parable is the servants of the great master are communicating across divides. They're communicating across financial and social divides and physical divides and spiritual divides and cultural, racial, ethnic, male and female divides. Bringing people together, not erasing their differences, but bringing people together in unity in Christ. And that is where revival stems. This Pentecost is a glimpse of the beginning of the Feast of the Kingdom. And every time we see movements like this among God's people, that's another glimpse that, that this feast is a promise, it's coming. This is where we're headed. It is an inviting in the power and the love of the Spirit. Jesus says, um, or Jesus has the Master say, to the servants, compel the people to come in, just drag them, just make them come in. But I don't believe it's through force. I don't think that's how we bring people in. We invite people like the whites have been inviting. Your, your row is just getting fuller. We need to have all the rows like that. It'll make communion so much easier too. Um, <laughs> but no, but this is good. You invite people and they come because they know you and your life is compelling. We want to live lives that are so empowered by the Spirit that people say, I want that. After that, you can have the theological conversations, but if people know that your life is inviting and winsome because Jesus is there, because the Holy Spirit's there, they're going to want that, and they'll come. And we do that, when we do that, we invite people who we wouldn't expect and who wouldn't expect to be invited. We sit with whom we wouldn't expect to get along and who wouldn't maybe think they would get along with us. The people who show up at the banquet in Jesus' parable and the people who experienced the first Pentecost and were baptized did not expect the timing of the banquet they didn't even necessarily expect to be invited to the banquet. They didn't expect those people to invite them to the banquet. Or maybe they didn't expect those people to invite them to the banquet. But they didn't make excuses. They showed up. They went. The people who did not attend the banquet in Jesus' story were the appropriate people, the ones who had their life priorities all mapped out and they hid behind their possessions or they hid behind their relationships or maybe even their theology rather than joining the party of misfits and the Holy Spirit. 
I love this church because we don't necessarily, any of us, look like we belong together, but we totally belong together because the Holy Spirit is here and we love Jesus. We belong to each other. And that, I think, is also a glimpse of the Holy Spirit. So I want to issue a challenge. This is to me, too, because I keep saying I'm going to do this for myself, and I never remember to do it. When we have fellowship downstairs, remember the Pentecost banquet. Take it seriously and switch up who you sit with. I think it's great that we're developing friendships in this congregation, and it's normal. Some of, we're going to be closer to some people than others. But just move around, sit in a different chair, get to know other people, because we're all part of this body together. And be mindful, because today is Pentecost, but it's also Communion Sunday. Be mindful of the body and blood of our Lord when you eat whatever is down there. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so when we, and the, thing, the words that Jesus says when he shared the Last Supper with his disciples were kind of, you know, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. But whenever you eat anything or drink anything, do that in remembrance of Jesus. The Last Supper before Pentecost was the real preview or the trailer for the kingdom banquet. Dr. Ralph F. Wilson points out that Jesus refers to the great banquet at the Last Supper, which is Passover, and we know that Passover prefigures Jesus' death and resurrection, but Jesus already, before his death and resurrection, gives hints of the great banquet that's on the other side, because he says in Matthew and Mark, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And in Luke he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So, today and anytime we take communion, and even when we're downstairs eating pasta salad, <laughs> remember you have an invitation to the great banquet, and this is the reminder. This is like we're continuing to RSVP, so we don't make excuses when the banquet actually arrives. It clears away our excuses. And remember when we take communion, after we take communion, to spend time in the highways and the byways and out of town, finding people who, although they may be different from us, are like us in the fact that none of us can repay the host. Not one. We cannot repay our host. And as we invite them, we are hoping, we are doing so in hope that the Spirit will give us the chance to party with them in the kingdom one day. Amen. So we are trying, 
little by little to get our communion practice uh, to reflect a little bit better the, the oneness that we have in Christ. And we're not, because of COVID, and, and who knows how this is going to go in a few months. We don't know how COVID's going to go, but we are not um, quite at the point where we can have the individual pieces of bread and the open cups, so we're still going to use the prepacked stuff. But um, we are, there is something powerful about being offered the communion elements by another human being. So the deacons are going to come up as we sing our communion hymn in a moment. And bear with us if we're a little disorganized, because it's been a long time since we've done something like this. We did run through it, but we'll, you know, it's, it's going to be a work in progress. Um, but they will go down the aisles, the inside and the outside aisles, and they will pass you the elements. And um, you can wait, hold the elements, but you can actually start peeling the little things. <laughs> um, take that time of waiting. Some of you have mentioned missing this part of communion. So take that time of waiting to remember, to think about the significance of communion, to remember the great banquet that you are RSVPing to again, and um, to consider anything else that God lays on your heart during that time, and then we'll take the elements together. I'll say the, the usual uh, words of institution, they're called, and we'll, we'll celebrate communion together. First, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are a joyful God. Sometimes it's easy to get uh, bogged down by feelings of our own inadequacy and that we, we can't measure up, and so you must be disapproving. But really, you love us, and you just want us to come to the party. And you never said that we could pay you back. We can't. So Lord, please fill us with your joy. Renew uh, your spirit's strength within us. Please transform us so that our lives are compelling and other people want to come and get to know you too. And give us hope. Continue to give us hope of this banquet. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing our communion hymn together as the deacons come forward. <laughs> 